man, it was awesome to see those uh, little babies up here uh, this morning. It's always a great time whenever we have our, our newborn celebration and to, and to see those pictures. Uh, here's what I know. There's a lot of moms and dads that are going to have some good blackmail photos of their kids, right? But the Roddenberries just go over and above. I don't know if you guys follow the Roddenberries on Facebook or Instagram. They're always posting pictures of their wonderful new addition. And, and they're great pictures because she's a gorgeous little girl. She just doesn't like to wear clothes. That's great when you're a newborn, but when you're going out on your first date and, you know, Zach says, hey, come on, let's look through the family album. That's not going to go over that well. It's just not, just not going to, not going to work. But man, it's great to see those little ones and all the pictures and all the memories. And I'm grateful for the moms and dads as they have come before this congregation today and said, you know what? We are committed to raising our children in the Lord. That's what this was all about. Moms and dads who come say, we want to raise our children in the Lord. We want to raise them to know God. We want to raise them to, to experience the love of Jesus Christ. We want to raise them so that they know what it means to experience his mercy and, and his grace. And so that one day they will know and experience what it means to truly be his child. And so we commit ourselves to these parents and, and we say that we will walk with you and we will go beside you. We will go before you. We will be behind you. We will be God's hedge of protection around your family as together we strive to serve God. And so we thank you so much, moms and dads, for having your children up here. And for those of you who have older children that are a part of our children's ministry, that are a part of our youth ministry, we thank you for... For the emphasis that you put on spiritual things in your home and with your family. And if you're visiting today and you're wondering, you know, I, I just, I feel like there's something missing in my family and we're looking for something. We want you to know that we'd love to have you be a part of this church family. We'd love to have you be a part here at East Brainerd and, and be able to raise your family up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And if you have any questions about that and being a part of our congregation, love to talk to you about that. After our service today, I'm going to be outside uh, there in the foyer hanging around the Welcome Center. If you have any questions about being a part of East Brainerd, love to talk to you. Love to talk to you about that. We're um, starting to wind down a, a month of mission, or at least the conversation about, about mission. We started a few weeks ago looking at this concept about what our life looks like when it's on God's mission. And we made this statement, and we said, you know what, the, the, church, the church doesn't have a mission of its own. Instead, God has a mission, and the church is to be about that. That's going to be the focus. God has a mission that the church is on, and, and that should be in the forefront of our minds as we go and we walk, as we, as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And so we said a few things we wanted to focus on, and the first one was that we wanted to make connections. We wanted to connect with others who perhaps were not disciples of Jesus Christ. Wanted to connect with others who were not living, following in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we wanted to be able to build those relationships so that we might be able to speak God's truth into, into their lives. And you might remember that as we were talking about this particular idea, we said it's, it's hard to connect with people that you're not around. It's just hard to do that. And we started thinking about who we spend our time with and, and how sometimes we, we cluster up together and, and we jump from one little Christian hole to another, that idea of rabbit hole Christianity. 
And we challenged one another and said, you know what? We need to be making connections with individuals who are not disciples. Our realm of influence should include those who are not like us. Because we love individuals and we care for those who are around us. And we want to be involved in their lives. And yes, we want to be able to share Jesus Christ. We also have said during this particular study that when you live life on mission, you can't help but serve. You can't help but go and do good deeds or beautiful works as we talked last week. It's just an, an outflow of the life of a Christian. In fact, Paul would write and talk to this young preacher named Titus and he would say, you know what, we need to, we need to have our people learn, learn what it means to do good deeds so that their lives will not be, he says, unproductive or unfruitful. Because he paints this picture that there is an expectation of God's people. That there should be something happening in the lives of God's people. And Paul paints this picture and says, here's what should be happening. They should be serving others. They should be doing good things for the sake of doing good things. They should be serving others because it is what their Savior did. And so we encourage one another to be involved in just random acts of service and to, to become involved more with the things that are going on here in our different ministries at East Brainerd. And we reminded ourselves that we should not feel guilty when we are involved in acts of service that perhaps do not necessarily lead to opportunities to share with individuals about Jesus Christ. That could happen. It could be that we are involved in opportunities to serve others, but we are not given the chance to be able to lead them closer in their walk with God. We should not leave those situations feeling guilty, but we should be honored that we have the opportunity to serve in the name of Jesus. It's life on mission. And so we come today to, our, to, to one of the third points that we want to look at with this. And to do so, I want you to open up your Bibles, find uh, the book of Marco, as he was just saying. Find the book of Marco. It's in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Find the Gospel of Mark and settle in in Mark chapter 4. Really awesome story here that, um, that, is, that is used here in the Gospels to show us what what our mission is supposed to encompass and, and how we are supposed to, to put it all together. The idea of connecting and the idea of serving and, and as you'll see, this, this idea of, of telling. Mark chapter 4. It says in verse 35, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. And this is important here because you need to think about, well, where are they going? But maybe you even, even need to ask yourself, where are they currently? They're in an area known as Capernaum. And this was a time where you can read through, you can read um, the chapters that come before. You can see that Jesus is in the synagogue and he's teaching and he's also healing. He's in a section of the country where... God is sought and God is taught and it is believed that God's presence can be, can be seen among his people. And, and Jesus is demonstrating in amazing ways what it looks like when God is in control. And one of the things that's taking place is that Jesus, Jesus is releasing individuals from the bondage of demon possession. 
uh, scripture shows that there, there were times where evil spirits or these spirits of Satan were present in the lives of individuals and held them captive and held them in chains emotionally and, and spiritually and in some cases physically. And these demons would cause the individual to do terrible things to themselves and sometimes to others. And Jesus comes on the scene. And he begins to set these individuals, he begins to set them free. He begins to give them a new, a new lease on life. Turn back, to, turn back to chapter 3 for a moment and you'll see a time when, when this happened. It says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather and soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind. They couldn't believe the things they were hearing about him. But the teachers of the religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. In Matthew's gospel in chapter 12, he actually shows an opportunity where this takes place. And then these religious teachers come and say, listen, the only reason he can do this is because he is on the side of Satan himself. That's why this is taking place. But listen to what Jesus says. How can Satan cast out Satan? A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. He says, who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Jesus is there in Capernaum and he's teaching and he's healing and he's setting individuals free and it's causing such a ruckus that people are trying to figure out exactly what is what is going on now in Matthew's account when this particular healing takes place individuals begin to ask could this be the son of David could this be the Messiah you see, if an individual was able to correct blindness, if they were able to heal leprosy, and if they were able to cast out demons that cause individuals to be mute and not able to speak, in Jewish culture, that was seen as being a sign that the Messiah was here. And so as Jesus goes and he's healing and he's casting out demons, people are saying, could this be the Messiah? And others are going, no, 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 I think he's on Satan's team. And Jesus says, listen. only person that can do what I'm doing is someone who is stronger than the strong man, he says. I want you to keep that thought in your mind. Keep that thought in your mind because that's where Jesus is. That's where Jesus' disciples are. They're in this religious setting and then, and then he says, listen, let's go to the other side. Now, on the other side from where they were, a little bit southeast on the Sea of Galilee, they would enter into an area known as the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis was a region that was made up of 10 city-states, 10 free city-states that were very Greek in their morality, very Greek in their worldview. It was a concept known as Hellenism. This was an area, yes, you could say they were pagan, but it goes further than that. And if I can simplify it just a little bit, you need to know that in this particular place, in this particular place that they were going to be going, this area known as the Decapolis, humanity ruled. 
Humanity ruled because Hellenism was all human-centered. It was all about what the mind could think and what the mind could imagine. And in order to be successful in this particular society, then you had to accomplish great things. You had to do great things. See, the people here in the Decapolis, they valued accomplishment. And they valued fame. And they valued wealth. And they valued status. And they valued accumulation. And so if you were able to have a great business, then you were someone who was highly valued. And if you were someone with great beauty, then you were someone who was worth a lot in this particular culture and context. If you were someone who was a great general, if you were a mayor, if you were a senator, if you had some type of status, then that meant that you were highly valued in this particular culture and that they would probably put up a statue to you. All through the cities, there in the Decapolis, you can see statue after statue erected to individuals who met their view of the world and what it meant to be great. You found no statues to the marginalized. You found no statues to those who were weak. You found no statues to those who were sick. You found those statues to those who came in second place. Everybody there didn't get a trophy. Only those who were first, and only those who were winners, and those were the ones who had the high value, because it was all about humanity. And so he says, let's go across to the other, the other side. Let's leave this area where people are talking about God, and where people are talking about the Messiah, and where people are, are wondering if perhaps the revelations could be true. And let's go to the other side. So it says in verse 36, they took Jesus in the boat and they started out. And if you've read this before, heard this part of the story, you, you might remember that they encounter this great storm that comes up. And, and this is a time where Jesus reveals his divinity to them and the way that he's able to steal the waves and it amazes those who are in the boat. And they get to the other side and here's where the story really gets good. Chapter 5. So they arrived on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Now get the picture in your mind. They arrive after this great storm. The disciples are finally happy. Their stomachs are going to be settled. Jesus steps off the boat and here comes this wild man after them. Matthew's account will talk about two individuals. We'll get to that in a minute on the discrepancy there. But Mark says, listen, there's a man that comes and he lives in the caves. He's chained and yet nothing can subdue him. And day and night he wandered among the burial caves and the hills howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now think about... Think about the community that this man comes from and again what they valued. The accomplishment, the appearance, the status, the accumulation. 
And now you find this man, and as you continue reading, you discover he's naked. He, he has no clothes. He, he, he won't wear anything. He tears everything off. He has nothing. He lives with the bones. He cuts himself. His sores ooze. He's bleeding. And every day he makes himself uglier and uglier and uglier. And he's howling out, not even in his right mind. And there is no man who is worth less in this community than this man is. No one who is worth less in the Decapolis. Now think about it from a Jewish perspective though. Think about it from a Jewish perspective and how in in Numbers chapter 5, those who were the followers of God, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they were told that that they would be unclean if they were to touch something that was dead. And here this man is living in the tombs. There in that same chapter, they are told that you're unclean if there are these open sores and wounds on your body. And here comes this man who is just oozing from head to toe. And the disciples look and they see him and they think, uh-uh. We don't want any part of that because it's unclean. There was no one worth less in the Jewish world than this man. He's a man with no world. He's a man that does not fit in on the other side of the lake where Jesus had come from. And he's a man who does not fit in even with his own people. That is what Satan has done to him. And now let me ask you, do you live with anybody like that? Do you work with people like that? You go to school with people like that? Individuals that seem to be out of their world. They don't fit in 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 anyone's group. They don't fit in in anyone's society. It seems like no matter how hard they try, they just can't find their place. When Jesus was still some distance away, The man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He says, In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Jesus, Jesus looks at this man and says, what's your name? What's your name? Can we stop here just for a moment and can we just focus on something as simple as Jesus saying, what's your name? That basic, that basic question of identity. The basic question where you're able to, we're able to find out a little bit about another person. What's your name? It's a simple question. It's one that you and I oftentimes take for granted and oftentimes we do so through the neglect of those who are around us. Individuals again who are outside community. Individuals who just don't have a place and would love just for someone to say, hey, what's your name? Jesus gets personal. 
And the man replies, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. And then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them into some distant place. Now there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us to the pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned into the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. And a crowd soon gathered there around Jesus. And they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. And notice this. It says he was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. These pig farmers run back and they begin to say, you'll never believe what has happened. They're afraid and they're disgusted because their whole source of income has just gone down into the water. They've never seen anything like it. The townspeople begin to come out and they find the one that has kept them up at night howling. They find the one that they know lives among the tombs. They find the one who they've told their children, don't go near that area because you know that man that lives there. You know his friend that's there. Stay away. And they find him there sitting at the feet of Jesus and he's clothed and he's sane. And you look at that and you wonder, how can it be? It's because a strong man has come to the other side. A strong man has come. A strong man who is able to go and undo what it is that Satan has done. A strong man who is able to take what was painful and a strong man who is able to take what was ugly and a strong man who is able to take what was ostracized and able to put things back right and to put things back how they should be. When we read this particular story and when we see Jesus going and asking his name and, and, and we see Jesus going and sending the pigs out and we see this man now setting fully in his right mind, we need to read that and understand that our God is able. And our God is strong. And our God is powerful. Because guess what? We live with these individuals. We work with individuals like this. We go to school with individuals like this. Individuals who Satan has taken and begun to destroy their lives. Individuals who, who Satan somehow has been able to warp their way of thinking. And, and so now, oftentimes, yes, they do separate themselves from others. And yes, they do end up hurting themselves. And yes, they do seem like that they're out of their minds. And yet, Jesus is the strong man. I love that part of the story. But it gets better. It says, the crowds began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. <laughs> you think, why in the world would that happen? Well, hey, Jesus comes on the scene and all of a sudden you got no pigs and you're a pig farmer. You don't want him to stay around. And you're wondering if you're the townspeople, what's he going to do to my business? What's he going to do to my welfare? What's going to happen? If he can do this to this man, what else is he going 
What else is he going to do? And so they beg, they say, please, just leave us alone. If you are this strong, you go back to where you came from. And as Jesus was getting to the boat, because understand, Jesus will not stay where he is not wanted. As he was getting to the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, you've been living in the tombs and you've been, you've been out of your mind. Evil has possessed you. And finally, you've got a new lease on life. No telling what kind of harm you've done to the community that's there. You know how they're looking at you. They're always going to see you the same. I want to go with the man that set me free. And yet Jesus says, no, you go home to your family and you tell them everything the Lord has done for you. Do you understand that this was Jesus' first missionary? first one. First person that Jesus sends out and says, you go and you tell. And we think, well, it had to be Peter, or it was Matthew, or it was John, or we come up with all these different names. Somebody who was raised as a priest, maybe one of the Sadducees, somebody that had a background in Torah, somebody that understood all the messianic prophecies. And yet the first missionary that Jesus sends out is a lunatic that's been set free. And he says, you go and tell. You go tell your family everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. And it says, so the man started off to visit the ten towns. And to proclaim the great things Jesus had done. Now see this for a minute, as he's going into the town, as he's going back to the place where he was born and raised, as he's going back in, and people see him coming, and he's running, he's going, hey, hey, wait, I got to talk to you. They're like, no, 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 He goes, no, that's not me anymore. I've been set free. It's not me. Something different has happened. And it says the people, they were amazed because of the change that had taken place in his life. change. There's a great passage in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 65, where God is, where God is talking about how that the Israelites have been sinful and they've been disobedient and they have not honored him. And he says, but just as in a bunch of grapes, there are some that have not gone bad. He says, you don't throw out the whole bunch. He says, so were my people Israel. And what I see taking place here is Jesus tells his disciples, let's go to the other side. He's telling these guys who are religious. He's telling these guys who want to follow after God. He's telling him, listen, there are some grapes over there that haven't gone bad, and I'm going to go and reclaim them. They've still got some juice. Not a lot, maybe, but they've still got some and there's a strong man over there that's, that's bound him up and I'm going to go and, and I'm going to be stronger and I'm going to release them because God still sees value. And here's the cool thing. When you read through Mark, when you go through chapter 6 and 7, you find out that Jesus, Jesus actually on his way back to the cross returns through the Decapolis. 
And the text is going to tell you that he encounters believers when he comes back. Yeah. How is that possible? How is that possible in a place that valued everything that was human, who valued everything that was beautiful, everything that could be accomplished, everything that had status? How could it be possible for a people that worship the emperor? How could it be possible now for there to be believers in Jesus of Nazareth? Could it be that it's because there was a man who went and told what Jesus had done for him? I think so. I think so. Remember I told you that, um, I said Matthew says that there were two men. And uh, different scholars look at this in different ways. They say, well, maybe there was two men, and, and Mark and Luke just focus on, on the one. And I, I believe what the Bible says, all right? But as I look at this and think about the idea that perhaps there were two men that came to Jesus, I can't escape the fact that, that just because I grew up in a Christian home and just because I grew up going to church and just because I participated on mission trips and just because I'm a minister, it doesn't mean that I haven't needed to be rescued from the tombs. See, you're the second man. I'm the second man. The one that longs to be set free. The one that needs someone to come into our cave. The one that needs someone to come in and be stronger than the temptations that bind us. Stronger than the addictions that hold us captive. Stronger than the pain that's in our life. And that's the Jesus that we serve. And that's the Jesus that we follow. And that's why we go and make connections. And that's why we go and serve. It's because we ourselves have been taken out of the caves. We've been taken from among the dead and brought into the land of the living. And because of that, we love. And because of that, we serve. And because of that, we connect. And because of that, we tell. See, sometimes we think that we have to have a theology degree in order to be able to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We think we have to have gone to some Christian school. We have to have some special degree on the wall, some training in some kind of evangelism class. And Jesus says, go and tell what the Lord has done for you. If the Lord has done something for you, then go and tell it. If he's helped you through divorce, you go and share that. If he's helped you overcome addiction, then you shout it to the rooftops. If he's taken you out of a sinful existence and given you a new start, then you go and you spread that news. If he is the one that gives you strength, if he is the one that brings you peace, if he is the one that gives you courage for each and every day, then it is your responsibility to go and tell. Go and tell. And here's the final thing. You read through this particular story and... And you see how that Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And you see how it says that when Jesus got out of the boat, a man comes to meet him. And how Jesus looks and says, what's your name? And, and how Jesus casts the demons into the pigs. And how Jesus is the one that gets back into the boat. And how Jesus is the one that the man wants to follow. What you, what you notice here, 
The text never says anything about the disciples. It's all Jesus is doing something and and Jesus is working and, and Jesus is talking. And I don't know, I can't say this for certain, but it appears that the disciples never got out of the boat. They didn't get out of the boat. They knew, they, they, they knew what it meant to be unclean. They knew what it meant to, to want to try to follow God. And, and, and I get this idea because later on, Peter's going to have to see three visions from God telling him, listen, you don't go and call things that are clean, unclean. You go into the Gentiles' home. It's okay. And later on, he's going to have to be rebuked because he's, he, he's playing favorites and he's not eating with those who are not like him. And he has to be told, this is not the way of the disciple. And so I picture it here where you've got what's taking place. The disciples are in the boat watching all this taking place, thinking, we don't want to touch that. And yet, friends, living on mission means that we are willing to get out of the boat. Or maybe to put it in terms that you understand better. Living on mission means getting out of the Bible class. And living on mission means getting out of the church house. And living on mission means getting out of your Christian hole or your Christian bubble so that you can connect with others who maybe are not disciples or perhaps those who are that are struggling just like you in their walk with Jesus Christ. It means going in places that do not share or hold our worldview. It means going to the Decapolis. It means going into the tombs. It means embracing those who live among them, those who are marginalized, those who don't have statues. It means going where Jesus has already gone. You see, the mark of mission and the truth of mission and the picture of mission is not what the disciples do in the church house. It's what they tell in the Decapolis. It's what they do when they get out of the boat. It's what they do when they they get out of their cluster. It's what they do when they go and they live among the people of the world and declare, I've been set free. So life on mission, it means connecting, it means serving, and it means telling. And I want us to sing and encourage one another here. Derek has um, picked a song for us to, um, to sing together. I think it's, um, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surround His people. Is that right? And as we sing this, I want you to understand that you are surrounded by the strong man. You are surrounded by the one who is stronger than the ruler of this world. He's stronger than any addiction. He's stronger than any temptation. He's stronger than anything that's going to take place this week. He's stronger than anything that's going to take place next month or this year, any time to come. Whatever's going to happen in our society, we serve the strong man. And he has come to set people free and to release those who are in prison and to speak good news to the poor and to bind up those who are hurting. And you are his hands and you are his feet and you are his mouth. 
And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the strong man surrounds his people. So as we stand and sing today, if you have not been living on mission, then I want you to not walk, but run here so that we might be able to pray that God would strengthen you and so that he would build you up so that this year in school or at work or on the ball field, this year as you're traveling, wherever it might be, that you would be the one that lived on mission and that made connections and that served and told what Jesus had done for you. And maybe you've already heard that story. And you've come here today and you've been waiting for me to shut up saying, Chris, would you just be quiet? Because I want to be baptized into Christ. I want to be able to know what it means to put the strong man on in my life. All right, I'm going to shut up. And if you want to be baptized this morning, we want you to come. We'll celebrate with you and we'll shout and we'll sing. And let's stand and give God the glory.